What's up, Zero to Hear podcast fans? Welcome back to the show. On tonight's podcast, head brewer from Steel and Oak. This is a big one, obviously, because you know I love beer. Eric Mutal, Moodle. Sorry, Eric. I love you. Not sure how to pronounce your last name. He's a good dude. I really, really enjoy this guy. He's been working at Steel and Oak since the beginning. He was the assistant brewer for the first uh, two or three years, took over two years ago, and has absolutely crushed it. If you haven't had a Steel and Oak beer in the last couple of years, you need to check these guys out because they are legit. Seriously, so many good beers, Carl. I love what they're up to right now. They are basically doing a lot of one batch things, which is kind of up my alley because I like trying new beers. And every couple weeks when they have a new beer, it's just an excuse to drink more beer. They've been doing a lot of hazies, which is right up my alley, as you guys know. And last week they came out with a wicked nitro stout called Sleepwalkers, which is dynamite. Carl, if you haven't had it. He kind of goes into everything from like trends in beer, how how uh, seems like every year or two the trend is different and there's a little bit of pressure on brewers to produce like a good sour or a good IPA or a good hazy. I asked him about collabs because it seems like that is a big thing in Greater Vancouver. A couple breweries getting together and producing a wicked awesome beer and how that whole situation comes about. And then just the behind the scenes of what day-to-day looks like in a brewery uh who comes up with the recipes what goes into brewing a phenomenal beer where the names come from all of that he is a very interesting dude and makes a lot of good beer so have a listen let me know what you think as always i want to hear your feedback so if you like what you are hearing on the zero Hour podcast hit the subscribe button and leave us a review later Tonight on the Zero Day Podcast, <laughs> Beach Towel, brought to you by Steel and Oak. That is correct. I am going to sit here with my beer can for the next 45 to 60 minutes. So graceful. And you guys are going to... No, I'm just kidding. We are... Uh, this is a very, very exciting day for us, Carl. We are going to be chatting with the gentleman who produces this lovely nectar of the gods and puts it in these cans, Eric. Welcome to the show. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited, yeah. man. I uh, obviously I'm a big fan of Steel and Oak, but um, with no disrespect to Peter, because I have a lot of uh, respect for what he did for the brand as well. But Steel and Oak has got super good in the last two years. Thanks. Yeah. So I mean, it. I'm going to say it was always good. We've changed. I agree that it was good <laughs> and. I'm probably up there in one in terms of one of the biggest fans of Steel and Oak that you guys have. Uh, but I think it's got really, really good in the last couple of years. And I drink a lot of craft beer, probably more than I care to admit on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you've had so much new stuff come out in the last 12 months, whatever, 24 months that you have kind of been running the show. So congratulations. Thanks. As a beer fan, I'm pumped about it. 
I often get samples, which is great. I often spend <laughs> a lot of money in the tasting room, which is good for you guys. Not good for my beer gut. Um, but I love the stuff. Where, I guess, how long have you been involved or running Steel and Oak? How long so have I've been, been involved with Steel and Oak since the day we opened. Were you? Yeah. Okay. So I was. You were. I was in the tasting room. I poured you maybe your first beer there. Did you? Um, yeah. So I was there. I was hired. Um, with the, I just needed a summer job. Basically, I didn't think it would lead to this, and I was hired the day of the day we opened. I started my first shift, poured probably one of the first beers. I don't know exactly, and uh, with the thought that you know what, if it gets busy, Peter, the brewmaster, the original brewmaster, was running the show by himself, and. I don't think he quite realized how busy it would get. Um, <laughs> but I was hired with the thought that if it did get busy, then maybe I'd help out in the back. And uh, within a week, Jamie came up to me and was just one of the owners of Steel and Oak and was just, do you, wanna, do you want some extra shifts? Going to need some help. And I was washing kegs within a <laughs> week or so. And uh, so starting just cleaning and cleaning kegs and whatever else. Brewing is mostly cleaning, as you'll find out. So that's what I was doing. Um, while somebody else did the actual brewing and yeah. And then it kind of led to this and now it's been just over three years that I've been the head brewer. Pete moved on to other stuff. That was his plan all along. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and somehow they trusted me to take over. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> uh, I faked it for a while and I, I kind of know and think we all figure it out as we go. Um, but yeah, so it's been just over three years. So it's been great. We are, I want to get into a little bit more about like the science behind brewing beer and how a facility like Steel and Oak is actually run day to day. Um, I want to talk about all the wicked beers that you guys have put out in the last couple of years. Um, first of all, I'm pumped that our relationship is going to go to a new level tonight because <laughs> Eric and I know each beer. other by literally just me coming into the brewery and be like, Hey Eric, what's going on? He's like, Hey, how's it going? Well, and your office really used to be that's, at that Steel and Oak, yeah, so I used but, to see you more often. That's true. And then it was too hot in there. Yeah, though, it was so we had to a terrible <laughs> place to work. I don't know why anybody would choose to be there, um, but other than that, it's good. So yeah, he used to come by more often. First, I want you to tell us what we're drinking right now, though. This is uh, it's being released tomorrow, so you're the first to first of the general public to tomorrow try. Tomorrow is what Tuesday, July twenty. What 23rd. is it called? Twenty third. Right. Yeah. So this is Beach Towel, uh, an IPA India Pale Ale with guava, mango, and passion fruit. Um, it's summer. We want to drink IPA. Well, people want to drink IPAs. People like fruit. People like tropical fruit. Is it hazy? It's hazy. All right. Yeah. Hard to see in the can. <laughs> Tastes hazy. Yeah. So it's, it's fruity, <clears throat> but it's still an IPA. So it's not going to be the straight up juice that some people want or some people think they want. Um, I'm not going to tell people what to drink, but <laughs> I want it still to taste like beer. And so there's definitely fruit in there. You taste all the fruit, but it's still an IPA. It's still beer. The name is wicked. <laughs> Obviously it's a summer beer. Ooh, who's in charge of these names? Names are usually by committee. Mm. Um, and then it's usually between my, my ideas normally just get rejected. Uh, I just, <laughs> so I don't even try anymore. I tell them what the beer is, let them do it. I've, I've what was your idea for the name for this one? I probably didn't even have one. No, <laughs> I, I just, I don't even try anymore. Flip flop. Uh, 
there were, I feel like that was part that went in the conversation. Um, but usually Jordan, one of the owners, uh, Kevin, who's marketing brand boss is what we call him. Hmm. And, uh, Dan, who's our general manager, they kind of talk it out usually more between Kevin and Dan and then think of ideas, throw things out there. And eventually something comes out and we're done. This one went through a few names that can't even remember what they were now, but we thought we had it. And then telling other people, they're like, really? Well, that, that's it. Um, so I, I stay away from the marketing side of things. Let other people deal with it. They're better at it than I am. As a guy who's in charge of the actual beer that goes in here, I'm assuming I'm, I know the answer to this question. How much does the name affect the uh, saleability or how well a beer does on shelves? I can't answer, but I'm sure it's a lot. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. People, I mean, you're at a liquor store. There's, I don't know how many options there. Mm. You need a good name, a good label. Our designer, Sammy, does amazing work. And so that helps you just grab it off the shelf and then maybe take a little bit closer and read it. Mm. And hopefully that makes you buy it. And hopefully when my job is after you've done all that and somehow picked it up off the shelf, hopefully the beer is good enough that you want to buy it again. Mm -hmm. So to clarify a little bit of what I said earlier, Steel and Oak in the first two years, I feel like they had a very specific type of brewery that they wanted to be German inspired. Yeah. And now it's just kind of grown into phenomenalness across the board. Yeah, that's a word, Carl. I looked. I looked it up before. You you come up with a few words on these podcasts. Thank you. What was it? Phenomenalness. Write that one down. Phenomenalness. Phenomenalness. <laughs> what? Um, I guess what is kind of the overall direction that you guys have gone in the last couple of years? Obviously, there's been a lot of hazies, which I'm a very big fan of. Which it seems like a lot of Greater Vancouver is a big fan of. Is that? I, yeah, I'm assuming I mean, that's we, like the big trend right that's now. That's a huge one. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where they're easy sells and it makes me a little bit mad because mm -hmm. you can put out an amazing beer, but it's just a lager. Mm -hmm. um, takes a lot more effort to make a good lager uh, and you throw it on IPA. People don't care. They don't want to try it. They just want to buy it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think ours are good. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's almost frustrating that no matter what you throw out in, if it's a hazy IPA, it's going to be bought. You know, when, when a new beer is released, the first comment on Instagram is always, is it hazy? You never, <laughs> you never call it a hazy IPA. And you ask the same question. Yeah. Uh, we well, can taste it. Obviously, yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get that that's what some people like, but also some people, I think it's not that they necessarily prefer that. It's just that that's what they think they should like. Um, and so as soon as people know it's a hazy IPA, they're buying it. They're mm -hmm. going to come in. People are like, I'm going to buy two flats and they've never tried it. And so, I mean, I assume we have a good enough reputation that people <laughs> assume it'll be good. Obviously you do. But they'll come in and not even want to have a taster of it. Whereas if it's any other style, even just a, a West Coast IPA that's not hazy, they'll maybe not buy as much. Mm -hmm. And we love it. And think they'd like it too but they just won't even give it a shot and it's a little frustrating but that being said we're making beer for people um we're not making it for ourselves we can't drink anywhere close to the amount that we make so somebody <laughs> else has to buy it 
Uh, and so if somebody wants that, we, we are going to make it, we're not going to not make it. We're going to put our, put our touch on it. So for example, the hazies, I like them and in general, people at the brewery like them a little bit more dry, less sweetness than some mm -hmm. other breweries. And so that's kind of our thing. We'll make them more crushable, if you will. Um, then other crushable. Breweries. Yeah. I'm so that's glad you that's brought that up, Eric. <laughs> it's on my list of things to talk to you about. And since you just brought it up, we might as well. There's something else I wanted to, I'm going to write it down so I don't forget. Are you offended by the term crushable? Cause no. I've talked to multiple brewery people and all also people that actually make the beer, not just market and sell the beer. And my takeaway is that the people that make the beer don't like the term crushable for whatever reason it takes away from the, I don't know, the art of the beer. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? No, beer's made for drinking. I agree. So that's, you know, I'm, I love trying different beers, but I don't want a flight of beer. I want a beer. I don't want to taste 20 different beers. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Just give me one beer that I know I'm going to like mm -hmm. and a couple others after but a full beer um i mean shotgunning might take away from from the beer you know that you're not tasting it at that point yeah but uh i mean my favorite beer that we make and is our pilsner simple things pilsner and that is a crushable beer it's i think it's really well made it's it's got complexity if you're looking for it but you're not generally looking for it you're just Cracking it open mm -hmm. and drinking it. And that's what it's made for. Um, and yeah, I'm all for crushable beers. And I think that's one area of the beer spectrum that I don't. I'm going to use the word respect because I don't, nothing else is coming to mind, but I don't respect <laughs> enough is the Pilsners. What about a Pilsner is so appealing? Because to me, it's blah. Yeah. <laughs> That, but again, hopefully that'll change. So <laughs> the market is going more towards loggers. Well, I hope partly because we've always done loggers, mm. partly because I love them. So a pilsner is the epitome of beer to me. So that's that's what I want. If I mm. see a pilsner on a menu, if I know it's going to be a decent pilsner, I'm going to order it. Mm. And it's partly because I can judge other breweries based on it because sure. it's one of the hardest styles to make. Should we throw in a little plug there that you guys won the gold? Didn't you win a gold for? We a won silver. Oh, yeah. What silver. Won? Did dark lager win gold? It was a, a different. Yeah, our dark lager won one gold. Okay. Simple things won uh, silver in silver. Okay. yeah at the Canadian Beer Awards. Um, not against another pilsner. I'll throw that out there. What? Because uh, the category is, I could go on, but it's <laughs> it got beat. Please go on. By uh, I believe it was some dark dark lager. Categories are weird in beer, so mm. unless you're a beer nerd, you're probably not going to fully understand this. Um, but it was entered in a Keller beer category, which is kind of a catch-all. It means cellar beer in, uh, in German, and it's basically an unfiltered beer. That's, a Pilsner is traditionally filtered, and it's crisp and clean, or crisp and bright in color. Um, we don't filter any of our beers, so ours is a little bit hazy. I think it adds body. I think it makes it better. Um, but it means it can't really go into a Pilsner category in awards. It needs to go into a more catch-all Keller beer category, which is just confusing. It doesn't really matter. No, I'm, I'm very confused. 
But yeah, I, I want to exactly. clarify. <laughs> so why can't yours go into a Pilsner category? Basically because we don't filter it. We don't filter uh, any of our beers and a, by the book, a Pilsner should be filtered. Hmm. If you go by the German brewing methods, um, they filter them. Ours. So they would tell you that that beer is not a Pilsner. Yeah. It's what a, would they call it? It would be a Keller Pilsner, uh. which basically means an unfiltered version of a Pilsner, just straight from the cellar. So if you go to a brewery in Germany, <clears throat> they'll have their Pilsner that's filtered and packaged, or you can get their Keller Pilsner <clears throat> served straight from the tank. If you're at the, the brewery beer garden that are, you should go. This is a complete side note. <clears throat> Do you have any pull in terms of who is on the board for judging these awards? No. If so, can you volunteer my name? <laughs> I mean, you could. <laughs> you can. could go. Uh, they're always looking for people. Usually they want people that are somehow qualified. Um, there's. I have a friend that runs a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> qualified. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's a stretch because it's hard to find. So there's a a thing called a beer judge certification program, BJCP. How do we sign up? <laughs> you can, I mean, you can get the, you basically have to take a test that I think, I think you just taste, you have to like study and then mm. you taste beers. And if you can correctly judge things and then you get a certificate. That being said, <clears> they <throat> often find, have a tough time finding enough people that are qualified. So they'll just get industry people. Mm. Um, you don't want to judge a beer a beer uh, competition. It means you're just drinking a couple sips of 20 beers in a row, trying to find these little off flavors or try to judge it off a few sips. It doesn't sound like fun. I've never done it. Um, I feel like I'm pretty decisive though. So after 20, I just <laughs> like, I like that one. <laughs> yeah. But you're not even judging what you like best. You're yeah. judging it against a category. Yeah. So see, like the Pilsner category, is it the right bitterness for a Pilsner? It's not how you like it. It's, mm. is it the right thing for this category? And so you can have an amazing beer, uh, our red Pilsner. Um, it's not really a Pilsner. We call it that. It has some qualities, but it's red. Um, it's sweeter. It's got mm. caramel notes. It doesn't fit into a category in judge, judging. So it really doesn't win awards. Is that a super old school way to talk about styles of beer? Are they judging based on like these really old school principles? They update the categories every so often and depends on what competition, what categories they're using. Um, it is, but also it's, I can't think of a better way to judge it because mm. if it's just based on one or two people, well, which one do you like better? Yeah. Then it's not <clears throat> really, I mean, it's going to change whoever is judging. So they're trying to judge against uh, a standard. Yeah. And then it's all about technical stuff. If there's an actual off flavor, then they're going to take points off of that. And Do you think head brewers in uh, breweries across Canada are looking at these standards and saying, like, we're trying to produce a beer that's going to win a medal? Or are we trying to produce a beer that we enjoy and our customers are going to enjoy? I think mostly it seems that. like it's two different things. Awards, nobody, the average consumer doesn't know about awards. It's just good for social only, media. Yeah, it's good for social media. It's only good if we win... That's great. If we lose, well, there's too many things that make you lose. It can be, I mean, somebody's taking two sips of your beer. What do they have before that? Exactly. Like it's so good beers often will lose 
at awards. You rarely get bad beers winning, but it happens. Um, and so if you win, it's great. If you lose, I'd rather see people enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, if another brewer comes and tells me that they like the beer I brewed, that's better than winning an award. Mm-hmm. Except you can't promote it. You could take an Instagram story of him telling you, or him, or, him or her telling you that they like the beer. You could, better yeah. Better than the one that won the gold. <laughs> you could. That holds weight. Yeah. I mean, but nobody knows who the other brewers are. They see them and they walk down the street. Nobody knows them. Mm. But, but that, that feels good to me. When another brewer, I mean, we're all good friends. If they text me and be like, I'm having your whatever beer, your simple things, it's tasting amazing, like that that feels great. And so I make sure to do that to brewers when I'm having a beer of theirs that tasting great. I'll let them know. Interesting. All I'm thinking about right now is like one of my things that I never do because I think they're strange is write bad reviews. <laughs> like better just the amount of time that you put into something Go out of your to way write and a negative it. review on whatever a restaurant an experience that you had, whatever, just move on with your life. But on the opposite side, I never thought about that from like a brewer's perspective of like maybe how motivating or exciting, uh, receiving that good review from, I guess a qualified person, but like, yeah. What if I came up to you, Eric, and I was like, Hey, vibrant things, vibrant things. Yeah. Was phenomenalness. Oh, that feels great. (laughs) That's yeah. I mean, you made up a word, but that's, that's fine. <laughs> but it's easily interpreted. <laughs> interpreted. Fuck Adam. Adam keeps getting this stupid word in my head. At our realtor meetings every week, Adam uses the word interpreted at least once in our meeting. And everyone looks at him like, Adam, it's not a word. He's like, what's the word? It's like interpreted. Oh, isn't that what I said? <laughs> anyway, that's what I had. Shit. Um, what about like a customer though? Oh, that's, that's great too. Yeah. When I walk into the tasting room and see people enjoying it, like that's, Mm. that's great. And I'll talk to somebody, especially the regulars or something and see what they think. And yeah, that's, that's great. Seeing the tasting room full of people there enjoying it and coming back time and time again. That's, that's why I do it. You mentioned something in there that was quite curious to me that, um, brewers, if they walk down the street, you would never know who they are. No. Do you think that's going to change? No. Because the industry is just <laughs> literally just starting, right? Yeah. If you look at craft beer, how old is it actually? What was the first craft brewer in BC? Was it Granville Island? But no. Not- there was one. I mean, if you go way back, I think it's in the 80s. It was in Horseshoe Bay and there was a brew pub there. Um, I forget the name of the place. The guy that started actually just passed away recently um, at a ripe, ripe age. Um, but yeah, it's, but it wasn't big until, until really maybe really six, just the last, seven years yeah. ago. And even then it, the last couple of years have really come up, but I still, I mean, you might get some people that kind of recognize a few, but you're not going to really know them. Um, I know when I've been to the craft brewers conference, that's the big conference in the U S every year. Um, and you see these famous 
brewers that have started, you know, Brooklyn Brewing and uh, Dogfish Head and, and that. And like, sure, I recognize them. And I mean, most people at the conference probably do. But if they were walking down any city, most people wouldn't. <laughs> You'll get the random person here and there, which is, I mean, I don't want to be recognized. I, like, I want to be able to be anonymous still. So I am, I mean, not that I'm not anywhere close to that level, but it's nice to not have to do it. And occasionally, you know, I'll walk into, I mean, especially in New West, people will recognize me just because social media or something like that. And the city's so but small. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah. New West is just incestuous. And it's like hard to go to a coffee shop without like running in for me, like running yeah. into a client or like someone who's been to an open house and be like, Hey, do you remember me? I'm like, no. Well, even today in They're the like, elevator, we saw you at, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> They're like, we saw you at an open house. Are you daddy? <laughs> And open house, like you got to be more specific. And they're like, "Oh, is this house on uh, whatever Second Street?" Also, like, uh, that craft beer place that you were talking about—that's the Troller Ale House, right? That's it. Yeah, and uh, they opened in 1982. There it is. That's pretty crazy. Uh, quick yeah. on his feet over there. Carl. Yeah. So that was the first craft brewery in <laughs> in BC, um, but definitely completely different than what it is now. Even like. You know, Storm has been open since the 90s yeah. in East Van. And that guy is amazing. Yeah, but nobody cared. He, yeah. he was doing what he wanted to do, and mm. that's awesome for him. And he still is. Still is. <laughs> Hopefully, I know uh, they're developing that land, and, and I think moving. he's getting kicked out. Yeah. I don't know any details anymore, but sucks. But that's the reality of Vancouver. Mm. Um, but he can't do what he did. Like, you can't start that again. He's started it. And unless he wants to invest a shit ton, which I assume he doesn't, he can't do it again. That's it. Is anyone, I don't want to use the word crazy. Let's say unique. Is anyone as unique as that, as, as James, right? Yeah. His name? Is anyone as unique as James? No. Or creative? I mean, creative maybe, but he'll just do it. He yeah. doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care what other people think. He and, doesn't throw ideas I don't away. know him yeah. well. I've met him once or twice yeah. and but he's just going to do what he wants to do. I mean, in the mm. 90s when he started, I don't know who he was selling beer to because there weren't many people buying his beer. But he didn't care. He just did it. He built basically all his own equipment mm. and just was making the beer he wanted to make and good for him. I'm sure he'd have a lot of interesting things to say, Carl. You should get him on the podcast. I've tried. <laughs> I'm still trying. <clears throat> I've sent him a few emails back and forth and Instagram messages. I'm slightly harassing him. I think <laughs> I honestly think he'd be outstanding. Like he'd be such a cool guy to yeah. talk to. Just like how the longevity that he's been doing it, and he's literally just in his own world. Like he's doing his own thing, which is so cool. I like that. Um, my, I guess my point was like, I don't know. Think of like back in the day, in, like social media influencers were not a thing. Like. Even farther back when they didn't have TV, athletes weren't even like that popular. They didn't get paid that much money. But now that craft beer is taking off, someone's got to be like the face of it. Yeah. And so like is it going to be like a Jordan Foss who runs the company, who's like faces on social media, blah, 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 whatever. Or is it going to be the guy who actually makes the beer who understands or when you see this can, yeah. you're thinking like, oh, shit. I mean, I think right Eric now, made if this, you were to I got to try this. If you were to think of the face of craft beer right now in BC, Brent Mills um, of Four Winds, co-owner, head brewer, he's 
he's probably the guy who was on the cover of the Georgia Strait not too long ago. Mm. But I still don't think he really gets, <laughs> you know, he'll get recognized by a few people yeah. here and there. If he goes to a brewery, they'll know who he is. Even then, like the tasting room staff at Steel and Oak didn't know he was at the brewery one time, texted me that he was there and uh, I wasn't around. So I, I messaged the tasting room staff being like, oh yeah, Brett Mills is in the tasting room having a few beers. Please just put them on my tab. And they messaged me back and like, we don't know who he is. <laughs> and so he paid his beer for his beers and walked out and that was it. But what, Carl, what comes up if you Google Brett Mills? Is it him? It is him. I found him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really easy wins. to find him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good looking guy too. So. Black beard. Yeah. Yeah. Black beard. Thick. <laughs> <laughs> we love good beards on the show. <laughs> okay, I want to go back to talking about like producing a beer that is like unique slash creative slash like up your alley in terms of a brewery versus producing beer to that you know is going to be is going to sell because it's like the hot topic of the month or the year or whatever. Do you as a head brewer? Obviously, you take a lot of pride in terms of the quality of the product that you put out. You mentioned a little bit that it bugs you sometimes that you kind of are forced in a direction because it's on trend kind of thing, like hazies are right now. Or <clears throat> I don't know if you guys did many sours. I know there was a couple, but sours seem like they were on many, trend yeah. a couple years ago, it seemed like almost. Yeah. And the really hoppy, overpowering, overpowering for me because I don't really like those <laughs> like 90, 100 IBU IPAs, but. That was like three years ago, it seemed like. Yeah. I guess what's the percentage and is there a different pride level in terms of producing a beer that you think is just like a phenomenal beer for its category versus producing something that is going to sell? I or mean, is on trend. Yeah. So we, we do have to kind of balance that. Um, sure. And so, yeah, we have to sell the beer we make. We're a business. Um, so we'll fill we're lucky that we're pretty flexible. We have different size tanks, so we can do a small batch of something that I really want to make or one of the brew team really wants to make um, and that we're going to be very proud of, but we know is not going to get people excited. And then our hazy IPA goes in a bigger tank. <laughs> and uh, and we're, still, like, we're still super proud of it. We still devote a lot of time. Actually, I mean, one of the brewers, um, he's kind of taken over the IPA program um because he gets more excited about them than i do and so who's that uh we call him chef his name's brian uh, <laughs> brian yes brian the beer chef yeah so we, we already had a brian when we hired him so we told him right away we we're like if you're going to be hired here you need a nickname <laughs> he was a chef before um so he came in and he's chef now i don't know him as anybody else really uh and so yeah he's He's great. He really gets passionate about the IPAs and those are the beers he drinks when he goes home. Whereas I go home and drink a Pilsner, he drinks an IPA. And so I used to always bounce ideas off of him. And then really I was just like, well, why, why don't you just take control of this? And now he'll bounce ideas off of me, which is great. We're not, we're not just doing it all individually. Mm -hmm. um, and, but yeah, so back to your question about how do we balance it? Well, we'll make what we think we can sell. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not always 100% right, but we'll, we'll kind of take our numbers and see, okay, well, we can make this beer. It'll sell a little bit slower, but if we make a smaller tank, then it'll still sell. 
and we're happy. And so it's a balance about making what's going to sell and what we want to drink too. I just want a Pilsner and that actually sells really well now. So that we're filling big tanks with it. Um, but then something like uh Rauch beer, which is a German smoked beer. Um, is that what you call it? So how's it, how's it pronounced? Rauk. I don't actually know. I don't speak German, but <laughs> I call it a I don't know beer. either. I've seen yeah. it. Like, and, uh, I call and it Roche beer. Roche. <laughs> Seriously. That's what I, I think I it's got like this kind of like a in there, okay. but I don't speak German. So <laughs> something like that. And, uh, now we had to make a pretty small tank of it. Um, but I could drink that all day. I just can't drink enough of what we brew. <laughs> and, uh, and so we are still able to do that. I got super excited that when that came out, um, I think it turned out amazing and we'll do it again for sure. Can we talk a little bit more about like the day-to-day behind the scenes of brewing beer? I'm just at my computer. I'm on spreadsheets all day long. That's it. <laughs> That's all I do. But in terms of like the science behind the creative side, the trial and error, is there a lot of that that goes into it? Are there, are there a lot of like small test batches? Let's say <clears throat> chef <laughs> comes up with this idea that he wants to do this really specific IPA. Where are the recipes coming from? Is there a lot of trial and error? So in an ideal world, yes. <laughs> it's gotten to the point. So the market has changed so much where now we're releasing three new beers a month. It's at least insane. So it's insane. So it's awesome. Yeah. It's phenomenal this, but it's also <laughs> insane. And so it's gotten to the point where we don't have time to do pilot batches. Uh, mm-hmm. We used to do about a hundred liter pilot batches for any new beer we were making. It was just the thing, but this was a few years ago when you'd release a new beer every three months and call it good. Mm-hmm. And people were okay with that. And now the market is demanding a new beer almost every week. And I mean, I say the market's demanding it. We're, we're pushing it too. So it's both fault, like both mm-hmm. sides fault. We're pushing it. They're pulling it. Um, and so the reality is we don't have time to make pilot batches um, rarely mm-hmm. anymore now. And so what we do is we, we know enough that we can create a recipe and be pretty sure how it's going to turn out. And we just, we just brew it, brew a full batch. And, you know, you're not starting from scratch. Usually let's say an IPA. Well, we've brewed many IPAs before. So we know if we change the malt profile a little bit, it'll do go in this direction. If we change it in this way, it'll go in the other direction. Hops. Well, you know, we've used a lot of hops before. We know kind of how to make them work. We might try a new uh, variety of hop that we've never used before. You read enough about what it's supposed to taste like and smell like you can make it work. You know how to blend them. And, uh, and so you're not starting from nothing. Um, if we were to do a completely different style of beer, then we'd have to do pilot. If you're using some crazy ingredient that you've never used before and you don't know enough people that have used it. So part of it, the industry is great. You can talk to other people and Mm -hmm. ask them how they've used something. Um, online, you can find a lot of information. You have to be pretty skeptical of it because anybody can post stuff online. It doesn't, you don't know their credentials or anything. Mm. So you have to know what you're getting, make sure it makes sense. But we're basically, I don't want to say winging it, but 
you're you're making educated guesses of how the final beer is going to be. Um, and then there's ways to kind of tweak it as it goes, if necessary, mm-hmm. and before it's released. And worst case scenario, if we don't like it, we'll we'll dump it. Um, so it's terrible. more working off of past experience in terms yeah. of what you've used and what's worked well, and just kind of building on the flavor profile off of those things. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, yeah. and so we can we can figure it out. We're we've got the experience. Well, what was your biggest dump of your career? Oh, other than Jamie's mishap. What did we do? We haven't had to dump much. There was one. Uh, let's do simple things. Nice. Uh, there was one batch where we used a, a new type of malt that was from a local maltster down in Washington State. Mm-hmm. And it was tasting all right, but it had a like grassiness to it. So it, it wasn't it wasn't on you guys. It was more so of the actual product that you bought. Partly that. I mean, it was on us for not testing that malt out before using it mm-hmm. um, because it would use uh, nothing. I've still got a bit there. Yeah, um, it was definitely. It could suit certain styles. I don't think it was necessarily the best, but for the style of beer we were making, it wasn't what we wanted. So gotcha. we just had to, we had to dump it and it's too bad. <laughs> it does suck to have to do that, but it's, it could be worse. Um, and so we'll, we'll do it. And I think every brewery, I mean, every brewery should have done it by now. If they've been around for a while, right. if they haven't, that's probably on them because every brewery is going to have a mistake at some point. Is this your favorite sound of all time? <laughs> Danny with the simple things? Because it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Can you, well, before you taste it, just off memory, because I'm assuming you've had a few of these. <laughs> what makes simple things unique and why do you like it so much? Why are you so proud of this beer from Steel and Oak? So, Simple things and just pilsners in general. I think brewers either love them or hate them. And if they hate them, it's because they're hard to make. So, you know, it's simple things. There's not much to it. Ingredient wise, it's simple. But process wise, there's nothing to hide anything. An IPA, Mm -hmm. we always say, well, that's anybody can make a good IPA. Can make a a good IPA. A great IPA takes something. Um, But a good IPA, just throw more, more hops at it. And it'll probably be all right, as long as you're not a terrible brewer. Uh, <laughs> but a Pilsner, any little, there's nothing there to hide it. It's also delicate, delicate flavors. And so if you've messed up in your brewing process, you'll taste it. Um, and so from that like kind of technical point of view, that's why I will order a, a Pilsner or a light lager off of a brewer that I haven't tried before, because I get to judge that way which is kind of rude, but it's what I want to do. Um, then I can tell how their other beers are going to be. From a drinker's side of thing, I just love it because it's crisp and clean. It's delicate. Um, it's got a nice bitterness, especially, I mean, ours is a little more bitter than a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes, you are going to be hearing that sound <laughs> more and more as the podcast goes down. <laughs> and so... 
yeah, to me, it's just a beer I can drink a lot of it's there's like complexity, but in a really subtle way. Mm. And so it's not a beer I need to think about, but I just get to enjoy it. Yeah, that's what I want to drink most of the time. I don't know a lot about judging beer, but I would like to be a beardage. Um, it seems like a Pilsner has a lot of different flavors as it goes from like hitting your tongue and then like the aftertaste. It just seems like the profile is is bigger than a lot of other beers. Is I'd that, agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Because nothing is there. There's not one thing to overpower. An IPA, it's it's hop. It's hoppy. You know, you, you get the bit, the malt background a little bit, but it's mostly just hops all the way. And so a Pilsner, it's got the hops. You smell it. It's got the hop aroma. and But then you taste it and you get that little bit of like graininess. Um, we use a, a German malt. It's like an heirloom variety that I think is amazing. Mm. And uh, and so you get that graininess, almost like a honey crisp type of mm-hmm. flavor to it. And then finishes and then it's like a clean bitterness at the end. And yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> Eric loves Pilsners just if you guys haven't figured oh, that yeah. out yet yeah yeah that's it <laughs> if I could just turn the whole brewery just just Pilsner I mean can I you may... be that creative with Pilsners though you can have different can you make ones. six different Pilsners you could yeah 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 I don't think the average person will appreciate appreciate the, difference, the differences right? but yeah you, you could but no it's, it's not going to happen and so what's the reason that Ales, IPAs have such a broad spectrum of how they taste. Is it just because of hop levels? Mostly, yeah. Um, I mean, like IPAs in general, especially like, I mean, you can get a, quite a broad range from your West Coast IPA that's like a bitter, has some like sweet caramel mm-hmm. to it, and then it has a like citrusy aroma or something like that. And then you have your hazy IPAs that are a juice bomb and it tastes mm-hmm. like drinking orange juice basically. Uh, and yeah, so you get that. But to me, I mean, in your face, there's more like big flavors that are getting you. But to me, they're, they're not all the same, but like they're more the same than getting the subtlety. I'm trying to compare it to food or something because it'd be like, Subtlety is a good word. Subtlety is a good word because yeah. if you're not if you're not consciously thinking about like the whole experience, it's an experience drinking beer, Carl. <laughs> the whole experience of like start to finish of a sip of something like this, you have to actually think about it. Whereas like an IPA, you just like put it back and it's just like a hoppy flavor just bitterness on your tongue. Whereas like something like this, there's so many different categories that it kind of fits or that are notes that are different that you need to think about it. Otherwise it just tastes like a a clean beer going back, which is, I mean, that's it is that you don't have to think about it. Right. You can just drink it clean. It goes really well with food or just on a patio or something. And so, but you can, yeah, if you, if you stop and think about it, there are a lot of flavors, Mm -hmm. but they don't punch you in the face. Mm-hmm. In terms of recipes and stuff like that, I want to dig a little bit deeper. Okay. A lot comes from experience. I get that. And like what you've used in the past, what works well, and then building off of that. But in terms of like B 
being creative, thinking outside the box, doing something different that you haven't done before. Where's the exploratory phase coming from? Is it like trying stuff from different breweries, building off of that kind of profile or like putting a recipe together that kind of, I don't want to say like it mimics, but is different or like, where does it kind of, let's say you, two and a half years ago, you were doing your first big IPA. Where is all that creativity coming from? So definitely a lot of comes from other, other beers. So yeah, if I want to make an IPA, we'll go out and, I mean, we often go, go to a liquor store, buy 10 different IPAs and do a tasting mm. and see what we like of certain ones and then kind of come up with our own thing mm. from there of what we're trying to achieve. Um, but the more crazy flavors, I mean, or crazy styles can just be a random inspiration. Um, I find watching like cooking shows on Netflix can inspire me <laughs> just, and not directly. So they're, whatever they're making is not like, oh, they're making a Tom Yum soup. I'm going to make a Tom Yum beer. <laughs> like that's not like that. But then seeing kind of the flavor combinations yeah. of, of something and that will, will do that. So I have a tough time sometimes. So I come home from work and I just want to veg out and just think about nothing. And my wife will want to watch something and I'm like, Let, let's watch a cooking show. And I was like, no, I don't want to work anymore. And, <laughs> and I can't turn it off. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's tough. So I want to watch a mindless something. But sometimes I'm in the mood to just watch a cooking show. And I know my mind's going to be racing. And I'm going to think of different things and, and do that. So I get inspiration from whatever. I'll go to a restaurant and try something. I'll taste a cocktail or it has a flavor combination and, and go from there. I've got a list on my phone that just... I keep adding to if I ever have something like, oh, th this is an idea. Um, they don't always go anywhere, but it's it's good to have that going. How does that process work in terms of like a <clears throat> random idea? Hey, like, um, just making this up because you're talking about Asian food. Szechuan, <laughs> like, IP, I don't know. Just like make up a different version of a beer. How does it go from like note in your phone to in production? conversations with like, yeah we usually so yeah we'll it. talk with um the management team the leadership team and uh the sales guys uh, right now it's two guys so um the sales people and uh they have to sell it in the end so we kind of have to see that um plus the uh the brew team mm -hmm. so we'll brainstorm together and try to see what it is and then kind of between the marketing and the the sales team to see should we actually make this? Mm -hmm. um, what are the questions asked? Is it like, is it sellable? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> something obviously. Yeah. Is it going to be good? Yeah. Cause I saw, that's why I use the word Szechuan. Cause I saw a beer in a liquor store recently. That was like a Szechuan lime beer. I can't remember who brewed it, but anyway. So I brought a beer that's, it's not Szechuan, but they're uh, timid peppercorns that are. That's related. what yours is? That's what that one is? Yeah. And it's, I don't know if uh, I've had that one. Timmet peppercorns are related to, to the Szechuan peppercorns. And, uh, and it's got lemon. So it's a similar similar beer. That's and the Pilsner. No, that one's uh, a Saison. Oh, all right. Yeah. Let's try that one. Actually. And, so, and that one came from me going to a spice shop. And I was there for inspiration. And I was just, I bought little samples of different spices that sounded interesting. And these uh, Timmet peppercorns were one of them. And because they they're related to the Szechuan, but they have kind of a grapefruit citrus 
aroma to them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, well, we can make a beer with that. And Okay, let's say something like that that you've never done before. You've never yeah. used these spices. You go to a random spice shop. I don't even know what a spice shop is <laughs> or where to find them. <laughs> <laughs> Eric found one. He picks up these spices. How do you gauge the amount to put into uh, whatever? How big are those tanks? So each brew uh, that we do is just over 1,700 liters. And our tanks are between one brew and six brews to fill. So okay. yeah, this six brew one is 10,000 liters. I would assume there has to be some sort of like sample size to understand how much of the spice you're going to put Oh, definitely. In. Yeah. So we so something like that. There's, yeah, there's a test batch. Yeah. And we've, part of that is like, well, we haven't used these ones, but we've used other peppercorns before. Okay. And so we can use that as a baseline. Um, we can do little samples. So something like that's pretty easy. Cause I can pull off 20 liters off of a brew and boil it and, uh, add the, add the ingredient and see how it turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it's finding online home brewers are willing to test anything really. And so you have a bunch of people that have done all these experiments. You don't know how good they are at brewing or anything, but at least it gives you a baseline. Uh, my mentality, and I think it's still an oak in general mentality is to err on the side of caution. <laughs> I'd rather have a beer that you can't taste the Timmet peppercorn, but it's a good beer all around than one that's just spicy on your tongue and mm-hmm. You can't really drink it because it's just too spicy. And so, so yeah, it's a beer first, and then the secondary ingredient is second. So there's a home brew community. Oh, they're huge. Yeah. Well, I know that community is huge, but you can oh, how do you how do you say it? Contract out these like test brews too? Oh no, no, no. I just I Google and oh, yeah. okay. there's forum online forums uh and You'd People be like, hey, we want to it. try this recipe. Can you guys do it I mean, for You us? probably could. <laughs> you could probably pay somebody to do it because they're willing to, to try it. But at that point, you might as well just do just it do yourself. It but I, yeah. So there's online forums um, that I was part of when I did homebrew. I don't really do anything now. And, and so I'll see what they've done. But you get people that make beers that taste like you're drinking Tom Yum soup. Uh, <laughs> and that's not what I want at all. So... You have to be careful that some people, when they want that specialty ingredient, they want it to be that specialty ingredient. Right. Uh, and we'd rather err on the side of caution and, and do that. And you can always, let's say it is in the fermenter and you realize, oh, there's not enough pepper in here and we wish there was a little bit more. You could find ways to add it in. So there, you could boil up a bit of water with the pepper and push that into the tank. Uh, you could soak the peppers in some vodka to get the flavor and then strain it out and push that into the tank or something like that. And so there are ways where we're not, once it's in the tank, it's, it's done. Um, we can still manipulate if we feel it needs to change. This is the kind of shit that no one ever sees happen or like even understands (laughs) that actually happens, right? All these little like creative little, I don't know what you call them. Changes. Tweaks and adding. Yeah. Yeah. While it's even in the process, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At what point in the process are you changing? So we stuff? don't do this often, but if we, let's say we tasted it and there's not enough lemon. Well, we could add more lemon juice to it. You'd have to be careful that it doesn't bring in bacteria or something like that into it. But if you sanitize it with even vodka or something, well, that's going to kill all bacteria. And mm. 
And then you can put some lemon in there, get some lemon zest or something and soak that in vodka. And What type of vodka do you use? <laughs> <laughs> the cheap stuff. Uh, Silent Sam. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, we've done that. Uh, we did an infusion with rosemary for a beer, um, Talanoa, that came out in the, in the winter. I don't think I had that one. Yeah. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, it was uh, blackcurrant and rosemary and... I'd never added rosemary to a beer. So instead of adding rosemary directly to the beer, got rosemary, soaked it in some vodka, and then strained it out. And then we were able to do tests, taking beer off the tank, dosing it with a little bit of this rosemary vodka until we found the exact level that we wanted and then made a big batch of that and put it in there. And it so was, you put vodka into the beer. Yeah. I mean, it's very little in the, is that how the flavors are added? I mean, that's one way to do it. You could, we could have added the rosemary into the boil and gotten it that way. That'd be a way to do it. But this was a more controlled way because then we have, you know, a couple liters of vodka that are, that's infused with rosemary and we can do tests and find out, okay, well, we actually want to put a liter and a half of vodka into this, even though we have two liters, but that would be too much if we put it in there. So we kind of do got a little scale and do little tests of a hundred milliliters of beer with one milliliter of the vodka or something like that, or even less and, and do it until we get the exact level that we want. We haven't done so this often, scientific. but yeah, it's, are you the math guy? I, I am a math guy in general. And so <laughs> I, I do enjoy doing those things. Yeah. yeah. Cause when I see, and you can tell me if this is a completely ridiculous thought to have when I see like, for example, rosemary infused beer. I'm thinking like it's an unfiltered beer. They put rosemary into it. Why isn't there chunks of rosemary <laughs> in my beer? <laughs> I mean, I we, guess that's why. Because you're soaking rosemary yeah, in vodka or but something. But we could like have, that. I mean, we could have theoretically thrown the rosemary right into there. And it, it wouldn't be in your beer. It wouldn't make it to the final <laughs> thing. Like we don't filter it, but it things settle out and yeah. we don't get that. But it's it's easier in some scenarios, but like when you hop an IPA and you dry hop it, which essentially means adding hops into the fermentation tank, those hops will settle out into the bottom of the tank and will kind of transfer off of them. Um, but you don't get chunks of hops in your can, hopefully, or else we're doing something wrong. <laughs> I, just, I still don't understand. <laughs> Sounds amazing. Once, okay, once a new beer is ready to rock, who's deciding whether it is good or it needs to be thrown out? I think that's all of us. We're always... Or is it just like you? You're like, this is great. Or are there like six people saying, and does your weight hold higher than theirs? <laughs> like, fuck you guys, I'm the head brewer. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it is all ultimately my call a lot of the time. I mean, I guess it's Jordan call most of the time the How's end his palette though this is pretty good uh, <laughs> and so we'll talk about it but i definitely i always i mean i don't even incur, i make sure the brew team is tasting all the time so you're mm -hmm. you're taking samples to measure you know ph or the density and things like that i don't care what the numbers say at the end of the day it's how mm -hmm. is it tasting so i i make sure my brew team is tasting as they go anytime they're pulling a sample off the tank and then also we're curious when, especially when it's a new beer, as it goes to, uh, to make sure you're sampling it, um, 
see how it even just see how it changes as it's aging in the tank for a couple of weeks. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go around once or twice a week and just taste every single tank that we, we have 11 tanks. So just, it's not that many. I'll take a couple sips off of each tank just to see how they're doing. Um, if it's a beer we've done a hundred times, then I should know how it should be tasting. And, uh, but yeah, I, it's everybody. And so if somebody notices something seems off or it's not quite there, then there's, there's ways to kind of either adjust it as you go or be like, no, we're not, we're not doing this. This is done. Uh, which is a sad, sad day. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff you've been doing recently has just been like one batch. Yeah. So the point of this question some of the things you do are year round and you do multiple times. What kind of, how hard is it to be consistent with the flavor profile in different batches of a similar, of the same beer? It's, I mean, it's hard, but we, we have systems in place to make sure. So mm-hmm. we, cause the brewing process is complicated. It is. Yeah. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so then, like RCA, for example, you brew it all year round. Yeah. One of the most popular beers. How does every can taste the exact same? And if you're really looking batches? for it, like we notice slight variations. Mm-hmm. If you're not looking for it, you're not going to notice it. You shouldn't. Um, and yeah, so there will be slight, slight variations every batch. Um, but we have systems in place. So we're very consistent with the brewing process to make sure it's being done the same way every time mm. uh yeast is probably the biggest variable because it's alive and it controls how it's going to taste at the end like it's it's the most important part that people don't really think of because the brewing process is when the guy's there doing it but then we go home and the yeast keeps doing its thing mm. uh and so we make sure we you know we count the the cells in uh we take a little sample and put it under microscope and we're counting how many cells of yeast are in there making sure it's happy and and that and if for every batch of beer you're doing every that? batch of beer we're counting the cells it it doesn't take that long did you know that carl you guys have a microscope <laughs> we have a microscope and it's really cool because you can see these little tiny tiny cells um and uh, that's who's making the beer we wow. can do all we want but the yeast is actually making the beer i would have paid a lot more attention in chem 11 if we were <laughs> if we were looking under a microscope at samples of beer. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, Maybe stop, I should, stop making your own slides. I should bring that into the curriculum, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the education for beer has gotten crazy in the last five years, maybe. Yeah. There's four-year degrees to brew beer now. Oh, yeah. Which sounds outstanding. Wait, what? There's degrees to be... Like I, don't, a, I don't even know what... Like, is is this it a degree or is it a diploma? Or? The one, I mean, at KPU, yeah. uh, it's there's a two-year two diploma, I guess. Oh, I thought it was four. Yeah. Maybe it's, okay. But I mean, there's there's always been degrees. Um, is it UC Davis that has fermentation science and they're at the forefront of a lot of things. There's there's a few places in the US and then you go to Germany and there's a lot more. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because it's so recent most people in the industry don't really have a formal edu- education right. in, in North America, I'd say. Um, and so we just do things because nobody's told us 
otherwise. I was in Germany last summer and talking to a guy there who was American, but he'd been living in Germany for you know, 10 years or whatever, and was into beer, is somewhat into the industry. And, uh, and I was just debating, because in Germany, you have a four-year degree and you make beer, and it's not like, oh, this is it. Like They just tell you, these are the steps. Yeah. There's no, you can't change the steps. We've been doing these steps for 500 years. <laughs> so these are the steps. Uh, and you just follow those same steps and the Germans make amazing beer, but they're not too creative. They've just make the same beer and I'll drink that beer all day. But you come to North America and because everybody's just kind of gotten into it, I have no formal beer education and well, who's going to tell me to not do it this way? I'm going to figure it out and hopefully you're making smart decisions. You're thinking it through and you're kind of going, but you just try something. And that's where all these new styles come from. I mean, hazy mm. IPAs, the Germans, no, you, you can't do that. <laughs> that is, why is it hazy? It has to be filtered. It has yeah. to be this and that. And even, I mean. Well, they don't even like IPAs in general. No, right? it's, I mean, you go to Germany and you weren't even allowed to dry hop until <laughs> five, 10 years ago or something because you could do it, but then you can't call it Believe beer. It. So they have That's the strict so rules that you can do other things and, you know, they're not going to come and arrest you, but you can't call it beer if you've done, if you add fruit to something, it's not beer anymore. It's a malt beverage or I don't know what they call it there, but, and so they're, they're still very strict about what they call beer. Do you have any experience with what the curriculum is like in these educational pr programs? No, I've, I've hired a couple people from um, the KPU program. Who've completed the program yeah yeah well one guy that's completed it and one guy right now that we have is in a in between the two years okay summer student uh or summer hire that we've got yeah and uh it's definitely still one of those things they teach you some basics but it's not complete and it's up to you to to do it just mm -hmm. because you've completed that degree doesn't mean you know how to make beer like most schooling yeah um, it's still up to you to really learn on your own and get experience and be into it. Um, so the KPU program, probably a good foundation, but you're not going to come out of it knowing everything. Do you know who's making the curriculum for this? I know a few of the people involved. I, I don't like know. I who's... really hope they're beer people. Oh, they, they definitely, they've hired some, some beer people for sure. The people have. that have experience at big breweries, smaller breweries, a lot of like bigger breweries and like, European breweries that do it, which is tough to translate off into a small brewery totally. um, that are around here because if you have access to everything, sure, you can do it one way, but we're often kind of rigging things up because this is the equipment we have. We'll find a way to do it. It's a lot of MacGyvering and, <laughs> and kind of getting it going. Uh. Oh, I lost my train of thought with this educational process. Oh, where, where did uh, where did all your beer knowledge come from? Did you get into craft beer five years ago in Steel and Oak Open? Yeah, that's no prior knowledge. Not from a commercial point of view. Right. So I'd been home brewing for oh, you had okay eight or so years okay. before then, um, and uh, 
but I had no commercial brewing experience. You understand how the process worked, just not yeah. at scale. Really. Yeah. And I was in school for engineering, mechanical engineering, and just needed a summer job. So I was like, well, I'd like to work at a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the, the engineering really helps to have kind of, part of it's just the way to think things through. Um, part of it's understanding the processes because it's a lot of pumps and pressure and flow and, and all that. So it definitely helps. Um, and then, yeah, I came in understanding beer a bit and then Pete took me under his wing and taught me a lot of kind of how things are done on a bigger scale. And, uh, and then it's just been a lot of learning as I go, um, reading a lot, talking to other brewers. Um, I'm always, always learning new things. I love beer, Carl. <laughs> beer is amazing. <laughs> is it the best form of alcohol form whatever i don't know what you call it it's up there for sure it's just so good <laughs> there's so many different types i know endless who uh who in the beer industry or do you use the word admire i don't know if that's the right word but who do you think is doing a good job i don't want to talk about bad job because i consumer point of view from my perspective of course there's stuff that i don't like there's always beers that I'll try that I'm just like, that doesn't make any sense. But uh, it's a palate thing. I'm sure someone somewhere thought it was good. I mean, but like yeah, overall, there's some bad beer out there. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, there's, it's not there's good. a lot of good beer, but there's a lot of bad beer. And we're lucky, like Vancouver is really good. You go to other cities that the beer scene's a few years younger mm -hmm. and there's a lot more bad beer. And so we're, we're doing well in Vancouver overall, but there's, mm -hmm. there's still bad beer out there. Who do you like in Greater Vancouver? Uh, there's a lot. Um, you know, Four Winds has been doing amazing things since they opened and their quality. I don't think I've ever had a bad beer from mm -hmm. them. Um, and they just do all sorts of styles. Yeah. Um, it's all over. Uh, Daggerad also making amazing beer. They're focused on German, although they're starting to branch out a they're little bit. German? Belgium. Belgian. Belgium. Sorry. Did I say German? You said German. Yeah. And I've, Belgian. Uh, yeah. Belgian. It's very unique, I find, Dagrad. Yeah. Like a couple of them I really like, a couple other beers, but another couple I'm just like, eh. And again, my palate, but I, it's super specific, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, Belgian beer has its kind of, it's, it is Belgian beer and mm -hmm. it, there's no way around it. And if you don't like it, well, then you're probably not going to like Dagrad. Mm -hmm. um, but they, in general, I mean, their beer quality is always up there. And, but yeah, if you don't, don't like Belgian beer then don't go there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Those are up there. Brass neck has always been amazing awesome. mm -hmm. and just lights out good and huge variety. Every time you go in there, just, there's always something new, always something good, but I'll, I'll go to their Pilsner or their corn lager most of the time because that's that's what i drink <laughs> um yeah there's there's a lot of good beer in vancouver in general um like i said other cities have some really shitty beer how did this how did i don't know if you have an answer for this but i ask everyone how did this scene blow up so crazily in the last has it been less than 10 years oh yeah it's like yeah. six seven i mean years. if you look at look at it like steel and oak just turned five years old mm -hmm. And it seems like we were 
veterans now. Like it's just crazy. Isn't like you look insane? at P forty nine that you think, oh, that's one of the original. They're only what six, seven years old. Like they're not that old, and uh, they're crushing it. Eh? Yeah, they're making. I mean, they're a different, different beasts. They've mm -hmm. always been big and going for a different market, but their quality is great. Um, Graham, the brewer there, knows what he's doing, mm -hmm. and uh, even just the feel in their tasting room is is like really dialed in. It's yeah, really good. I mean, back when it was originally open and it looked like just a conference room. Did it? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I had like carpeted, but that was like, you weren't allowed to have a, a lounge the way they are now. You were allowed to give tasters yeah. and that's it. And so when they opened, they weren't, they weren't imagining that they would have, it would be a place people would go to drink. You weren't even allowed in, to do that. Even in North van, I went to a couple of the new ones recently. Uh, well, beer, which is like a year old now, maybe. Yeah, something like yeah. House of Funk, which is pretty new, three months or yeah, four months. Yeah, they just or opened something. up They're and really making great new. beer right away. Really good, but they won't serve you a glass like a glass of beer. They'll only serve yeah. you a they, flight. They don't have a tasting room at all. Or they have a tasting they room, a, but the yeah. only their so they have license a, only allows oh, you to serve flights for some reason. Why is yeah. that? It's the amount it's licensing per glass. Yeah, and so I'm sure they're trying to get uh what's called a lounge license right right now they have a tasting room license and they've mm. got to get a lounge license that then lets it basically operate like a bar uh it's tricky probably right because it's like it's like part industry mm. like industrial and part like a restaurant yeah yeah but and most so of them don't serve food though no and you don't need to serve you need to have like snacks if you have a lounge but you don't need to have mm. a full-on oh. kitchen and can we just call out the liquor board right now so I don't know if this is a liquor board or it could be the city. It could be a municipal thing. And you, yeah, you well, have to get approval from both. City of North Van, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> Figure your shit out now. <laughs> also, liquor board of BC. Fuck, stop with all this red tape bullshit. You understand that people want to drink craft beer. Let them. Don't serve it to them in these fucking shot glasses. It's stupid. It makes me drink faster, to be honest. Yeah. I'll finish a flight in 35 seconds. <laughs> Whereas I'll have like a 16 ounce beer and it'll take me six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it doesn't really, I don't know what they're trying to do. They're trying to, and part of it might be bars are kind of lobbying against it because they, yeah. They so do the taxi business. companies. Go yeah. Fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It makes no sense. If that's what people want, you're not hurting anyone. You're building community really. And so I don't understand Eric. Yeah. And I'm really aggressively upset about this. Yeah, I don't deal with the liquor board <laughs> and the city and stuff, which I'm happy because it just sounds terrible. Oh, so bad. So I started my professional career bartending when I was 19. That was ooh, 11 years ago. Yikes. <laughs> Gone by quickly. <laughs> and at that time, literally, it was Molson, Budweiser, Coors Light, Granville Island. That's it. Yeah. I worked at four or five bars. Later in my, I bartended for five years, I think. So in the last couple of years, there was more that was coming out. There was Driftwood. There was like a few others. But early on, it was Granville Island was like craft yeah. beer. And everyone was like, oh, what is this new shit? And now you look, well, since they sold the Molson, it's gone downhill. So yeah, but it was a start. It's not even least. craft beer. It's not craft anymore. No, no, no. It's Molson. It's, it's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> you can say whatever you want on this show. 
I have a lot of opinions, as you can probably starting to see. <laughs> but Granville Island started as a microbrewery and just got bought out? They were like 1990. Like they've been yeah. around for a long time. I don't know their history because they don't know if they were ever actually fully brewing at Granville Island. Oh. Because even before they got their bought, facility is so small there. Yeah. I can't see that. So I don't know if they ever actually were. They were brewing Kamloops or Kelowna or something, mm. but they were still independently owned at some point. Yeah. And, uh, and the Granville Island was just kind of the tasting room showcase, whatever. And, uh, and then they got bought by Molson and they're brewing at the Burrard brewery. And how do you see this crazy beer industry going? So it seems like in the last five, seven years, whatever it is, the big breweries are understanding that their market share is going down and they're purchasing craft breweries. Is that going to continue to happen? Do craft breweries even want that? I mean, if somebody came up and said, hey, here's $50 million. Do you know what Granville Island's over? No. 120. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And like there's, there's been some big. They were big. They were, yeah. they had like a big yeah. distribution. I mean, Ballast variety. Point in San Diego sold for a billion dollars. Jeez. And so, which now they, the, who's it? Constellation Brands has said they've overpaid. Um, and so they've written off some of that debt. So, but even let's say it was 500 million. That's still just crazy. So I don't blame an owner for getting an offer and saying, sure. yeah, I'll take it. Cause I don't own the brewery, but if somebody came up to me for $50 million, sure. I'd probably take it. Uh, at the it end of the day, like it's, it's just beer. We're yeah. not saving the world or anything like that. And so. Depends how you look at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're building community. You're saving a lot of people's world, I think. Yeah. And so, but community is huge. Yeah. Especially it with is. You guys. It definitely sure. is. And so there's something to that, which is where I think craft beer is going. The big breweries, mm-hmm. the like, I mean, there's not much room for another P49 in BC. Right. That's or Phillips or whoever like that. That's that big. And so anybody trying to get in that, I mean, maybe you can, but I would. I would not bet for that. It would probably just take so much capital now. Yeah. Because the space, is, like obviously the space is more competitive. It's getting the market share that you just can't get. But if you just want to be your local neighborhood brewery, there's a space for that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to succeed um, because there is a lot of competition now. But if you're making good beer, have a good space for people to come to, and that's your goal, there's space for that. There's a lot more, There's a lot, a lot of neighborhoods that don't have a brewery. And so that's, that's where I think it's going. You look at, especially in the U S that the markets are a little bit bigger. The breweries that are struggling are the ones that are trying to distribute all over either the whole country or all of California, let's say, which is bigger than Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, those ones are the ones that are struggling yeah. and it's the, because there's new breweries open all the time, people are going hyper local. And you might as well stay where you are. Totally. Put your money there. You're creating jobs in your own community. And you see the people, which is nice. Like people come in and they see, oh, the beer's being made here by that person, not by who knows who. I'm assuming you're around the same age as me. I don't know how old you are. Yeah, somewhere around there. I'm going to guess 32. Uh, Oh, I got it. 34. Oh, that's close. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so my dad ran sports bars throughout Greater Vancouver. Well, all the way up until like 
I don't know, seven or eight years ago, maybe, but, um, his stories of the like late seventies, eighties, early nineties were just insanity for sports bars. One, they had no drinking driving rules, which was just crazy. <laughs> so like people could go have 19 beers after, no, 19, maybe like eight or nine beers after and work no and just drive home. To them? No one cared. Yeah. That's crazy. Like his stories are cops would pull you over after work and you've had like eight or nine beers at work. They'd be like, how far are you going? You're like, I don't know. I live like five minutes away. They're like, okay, get home safe. That's because the cops were <laughs> drunk too, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like it's just like, it's the next thing. It's like little neighborhood bars. Yeah. I wasn't around in the seventies, early eighties, but it seemed like that was the crazy thing. Everyone after work would go get like a fucking 25 cent beer after work and they'd have eight of them and then go home. Whereas now the community revolves, well, not revolves, but like one of those little hub spots for communities is craft breweries now, which is so cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. Now we just need more zoning that allows it because there's a lot of neighborhoods that could support one, but they're not going to, the city isn't going to allow it. And it's tough. But then you, it's also weird because neighborhoods are. My point about the city of North Van. Yeah. Figure your shit out. Get on it. Also, other cities. (laughs) But like, communities now pop up around a brewery totally so like you know condos going up in new west are advertising 100%. that they are close to steel and oak and they'll come and take pictures for their promotional material because that's a selling point mm. people want to live close to one and cities need to i mean light industrial in general is disappearing in vancouver and it's it's tough but allowing more of that you got to get in those photos <laughs> I think that's how the just uh, trying to get a free condo out of them. <laughs> they're not. They're not going for it. I think you have a better chance of getting a photo than a free condo. <laughs> I don't care about that. <laughs> that's how these head brewers are going to get a name for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get in these marketing plays. <laughs> what? Um, why is Steel and Oak different? Obviously, I have a personal connection to Steel and Oak, and I have a very soft spot in my heart for it. But it seems like the culture is. I don't know. It seems like it's different than other breweries that I've been to. I think partly, I mean, from my point of view, it's quality. It's, yeah. We've always had this kind of commitment to quality. Um, Pete started it and uh, Jordan and Jamie basically didn't know anything about beer. So they're just like, okay. <laughs> uh, but they trusted him that yeah. he said, you know, we, we need to give our beer time. And, and that's one of the biggest things is, we give our ales four weeks, our loggers at least six weeks. And did you know that loggers are in the tank for six weeks? Yeah. Is that why you guys are always short of the good stuff? <laughs> no, that's why they keep trying to buy more tanks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you can pump them out quicker. You could be, okay, we have X number of tanks. We've put as many tanks as we can in our space. That's it. We're not getting any bigger. And so some owners would be like, all right, well, let's cut down four weeks to three weeks. And the beer would be still good, but it's but not that, quite there. That little bit, right? It makes, it makes a, difference. a difference. You yeah. try it, and and it's not trying to like cut corners mm-hmm. to to make it. Oh, well, we can make a bit more money if we do this. Which short term, probably yes. Long term, mm-hmm. people are going to notice the quality difference for sure. And so, other breweries. I mean, there are definitely some that give it the right amount of time, but there's a lot that will pump out a beer in two weeks because. Get more more beer in there, more to sell, turn it over quicker and and that's it. And and that has been great. The, yeah, I never feel 
with the ownership that I need to be like, oh, trying to justify why this is the way to go. They're always just like, okay, you know, beer, um, just do it, do what it needs. And I'm definitely conscious of, you know, not spending more money than I would need to, but it's mm-hmm. never been a, me trying to, oh, well, I really need this $500 piece of equipment. And they're just being like, no, deal with it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just, I'll just buy it. And they're like, oh, they trust me to, to make that call. And, and that's it. Let's wrap up this way. Well, actually, last thing I want to ask you before we wrap up. How awesome are collaborations with other breweries? And how do they come about? Collaborations are great. Like the industry. Is it just like sending a text being like, hey, yeah. Hey, uh, Steve, we haven't uh, seen each other in three months. Let's do something. That, and he's like, hey, I want to do a Pilsner. And you're like, yep, me too. That's <laughs> often the case. Yeah. Yeah. So often it's just like, okay, we'll, we'll do it. Um, yeah. It's sending a text being like, hey, we got an empty tank. What do we want to make? Let's That's it, eh? meet up for some beers and figure it out. That's so um, cool. Sometimes it's a little bit more. Sometimes it's kind of set up through somebody else. So we just, we have a beer in the tank collaboration with uh, Blood Brothers in Toronto. Cool. And that was an introduction through uh, Jake, um, who brings their beer in uh, to BC. And so she's like, oh, they're coming out for a festival. They're going to be in town. Do you guys want to do a collab? And we're like, yeah, we love those guys. Jake? Yeah. Girl named Jake. Girl named Jake. Oh, I love her. She's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic. And so she set that up. But for the local guys that we're friends with, it's as simple as a text, an email, um, seeing them for a beer sometime, just being like, hey, let's, let's do this. The industry as a whole is the best industry I've been a part of. I don't know any other industry where I can call who should be my competition and just be like, Hey, I'm having trouble with this. How do you guys do it? And they'll just tell me like, there's no like, well, I don't want to tell you good, good. You're fucking up. I means I get more money and yeah, I just, I'll call our competition and I've got some people that I'm better friends with for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's great. So yeah, it's as simple as a text. Like, all the brewers that we've had on our show always mention this, that like they just love working with other breweries, yeah. right? And just c- coming up with stuff. It's never, it's never been hostile or any of that. No, no one's ever said anything. No, it's, it's great. I mean, I just assume like the industry's growing, but it's so small that if someone was just like, no, go fuck yourself, do your own thing. Right. They kind of, it would just be like a bad excommunicated from the industry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, so we're small, all good people. Talk. Yeah. I mean, now it's gotten big enough that, I feel like I used to know everyone in the industry, all the brewers, and now it's big enough that I don't necessarily know them well, or maybe I've seen them or something, but that doesn't, if they were to call me or pop in or something, I'd happily, I wouldn't tell them to go fuck themselves. Like I would be (laughs) like, yeah, come on in, have a beer and we'll chat about whatever. Do you think uh, breweries are going to keep popping up at the rate they are, or do you think it's going to start slowing down soon? It has to slow. I think there's going to be a correction Mm -hmm. um, where basically consumers are getting smarter. Right. And it used to be no matter what you put out, people are like, oh, this is great. It's craft beer. And even if it's shitty, people would still go buy it. 
And now not cons- anymore, eh? No, consumers are getting smarter. Yeah. And so if it's bad beer, you're not going to sell it. Um, it also comes down to marketing. You need the marketing because there's 50 beers on the shelf. Right. You need to have a reason to even pick it up. It can be the best beer in the world, but if you never pick it off the shelf, you're never gonna you're never gonna try it and find out. So, what have been some of your favorite coll- collabs? I guess I should say they've all been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Anyone that sticks out? I mean, we're really good friends with the Daggerad crew, yeah. and so we've done three now with them. Uh, we call ourselves best friends brewing, <laughs> and uh, it's always just been a lot of fun to to do that um i mean whether or not we do a collab they're a lot of fun and we'll we'll hang out together um one of the most fun ones we did was with uh a guy named sebastian um from frightgeist Mm -hmm. in germany uh, just outside of cologne he's based out of and uh we came he came over he was here for a festival and to him, he didn't want to brew a tr- traditional German beer because he's the like it's anti-German yeah. brewery uh, <laughs> that puts weird shit in his beer. And I'm just like, well, we're the German brewery. We do like traditional beers. And so we tried to do something different. And we came up with uh, doing what's called a Stein beer, mm. which is not really a style, more of a process. Um, Stein means stone in German. And it's how they used to boil the beer was because they had wooden vessels, wooden vats, they couldn't light a fire underneath it. Um, they used to put hot rocks into a fire and then take the rocks into the vessel and it would boil from that and it kind of caramelizes as it does that. So we kind of improvised a way to do this um, where we took some rocks from a landscape store and uh, basically put them in we made these out of old kegs made basically a giant sieve cut up a whole bunch of holes in an old keg and heated these rocks that were in there over a propane burner then took a chain and the forklift and lowered them into a, <laughs> Holy. a stainless steel uh, vessel and then we pumped the beer uh, as we were brewing it dude that must be so much fun for you it was a lot of fun because <laughs> rocks were like glowing red and uh and then as soon as the liquid hit, they just start steaming up and fizzing up. And, uh, and we just got this steam bath and uh, Sebastian had put on some like Rammstein or something. So it was <laughs> just course, like just to set the mood. German yeah. metal music House going music. And just there's, we're in this like steam bath as it's going. It was just just a moment. It was it was great. And was the beer good? The beer was great too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause it was, it had like got like a mineral quality from the rocks, got some caramelization. How do you feel people from like, I guess, Vancouver and U West react to like traditional, super traditional European style beers? I mean, that one people got excited for. Yeah. Because it was a pretty small batch too. So it wasn't hard to, to get it there because the process was super cool. In terms of just general, like the Pilsner, people don't get excited about it. But it becomes your go once you try it and you're like, oh, it's yeah, it becomes your go to and you always have a six pack in your fridge and uh-huh. you might try other beers, but then come home from work and you just want a beer. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. So that's cool. Yeah, it takes it's not the exciting beers. Right, right, right. It's uh, which is the I think the way people are going is you still want that like exciting thing sometimes, but mm-hmm. I just want 
a beer. Traditional, something that works, yeah. right? Yeah, whatever it is. I mean, it might be an IPA for you, like whatever it is, but something you don't have to think about. It's, mm-hmm. it's not tasting like having a taster glass. Are you ever set on a specific beer? Like you're saying you love simple things so much, but then you try something and it just switches, changes everything for you. Does that ever happen? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know what I like. Um, yeah. So I haven't been like floored in one direction. But, gotcha. Uh, I mean, when I first got into craft beer, I was definitely, I was like, oh, I like ales. They've got more flavor. And I think that's mm-hmm. the general thing of why people get into craft beer and they're like, well, I made a craft beer. I want as much flavor, like punch me in the face with flavor. And then as you get into it, you realize, oh, wait, I sometimes want that, but I also just want uh, a beer. And I want the like subtleties and I want just something refreshing. I don't know why I just thought of this. Maybe we should describe this beer first. So now we're drinking, what is it called, Carl? Lumina? Lumina. Lumina. Can you read the description? Lumina. So it's a Saison with Timut, peppercorn, and lemon. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's 6.3%. (laughs) Timut. This was the timid peppercorns that you were talking about yeah, earlier, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So what are we gonna what are we gonna experience here? Um, so the Saison yeast already, it's a pretty light beer. It's you know, it, the malt profile is not huge, it's just a little bit of Pilsner malt and some wheat. And then the Saison yeast gives it like pepperiness almost. Um, this dry, crisp pepperiness. Um, and then the timid peppercorns add they're like Szechuan peppercorns um, where they like tingle your tongue, but they're so little that you barely get that. Uh, and you get almost uh, grapefruit, citrusy quality. And, uh, and then there's some lemon zest and lemon juice in there too. It smells lemony. Smells good. I guess that's the Saison kind of smells. So it, yeah, too, right? they all, all the flavors kind of are in a similar vein. And Saisons are usually more carbonated? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is more... Crisp and carbonated. For some okay, this is the story that I just mm. remembered. Do you remember early days, man? This must have been like six to twelve months after you guys opened. You got a big tank shipped in. Do you remember the process of putting the tank up? Oh yeah. <laughs> Are we allowed to tell that story? Yeah. 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 That dr- was before we decided to pay somebody to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh oh! <laughs> remember Peter on the forklift? There was yeah. like some sort of lever mechanism that was going over the beams. Well, you, or the you just like rented forklifts and stuff. Well, we have a forklift. We rented some <laughs> extension forks. Yeah, and uh, and that was it. We had some strapping. <laughs> and, That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, and these are these are big tanks. They're I don't know, seventeen feet high or something <laughs> like that. And the, those ones held uh, about. 5,000 liters or so. And what, you guys just couldn't Five get it in? 5,000. You guys couldn't get it in? It got in. We got it in eventually. Just getting it upright. Yeah. Was the oh, Basically, it was the, just uh, so high, right? Yeah. So the forklift, we went as high as we could, and it wasn't quite tilted enough to get it over center and get it upright because <laughs> they come on their side. And, uh, and so we just had to kind of like, we were tilting it, lifting it up from the top, and it was tilting on its uh on its feet to kind of come over Jeez. and then it was like well that that's as high as the forklift gets <laughs> and so we're like well what are we gonna do this is this is it 
And our solution was to basically tie some ropes to it <laughs> and pull it. And so we got up. With up. the beams, right? Yeah. Well, oh, so you looped the ropes over the beams and tied it? No, we basically tied it to the tank, uh, to the top of the tank. And then we went up. There's like a mezzanine area. And, uh, and we got, I don't know, four or five guys to just pull. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> just because it was just about there. It was just over the tipping point. Yeah. It was just under the, the tipping point. And we just needed a little bit more. And uh, sketchy. And, and we got <laughs> it. And we didn't learn our lesson that time. <laughs> but then we did it a couple more times. And we're like, let's just pay somebody to, to make sure they did. Although the first guy we paid was just as clueless as we were. Who was involved in that transaction of actually putting this thing straight up? It was Peter. Peter was probably Peter the was guy like in the charge. MacGyver. Yeah, he's like, "Hey, let's use these ropes and let's figure this out." Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it was just a bunch of us being like, "Well, what if we try this?" And I'm pretty sure I was there that day, Carl. Yeah, because we your office a, was up there. We had our office that. up there yeah. uh, for the first maybe year of Steel and Oak, and I remember seeing what was happening, and I'm like, "What the." <laughs> Yeah, we made sure to clear everybody around the vicinity. Oh yeah, um, because if it did crash down. But halfway through, I left because I didn't want to witness something that I would have ha- have to like testify against <laughs> in court. Yeah. And so I was like, I, I got to get out of here. <laughs> like, I think we did it relative. Like, everybody was out of the way that could have gotten hurt. Totally. We could have damaged a ton of equipment totally. and lost a ton of money. <laughs> but actually, people getting hurt, uh, I don't think there was that much risk. No, 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 I don't think so. Yeah. Dude, I work, I work construction, so like 20% of my job is stuff like that. Yeah. That's it? How do we get up there? Like, Probably how do we do this? How do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's every day is they're always like, well, mm-hmm. let's just, we'll figure it out. Like, we don't know what we're doing. Like, there's no manual to follow. Mm. You're just doing it. But like you said, even the guy that you hired had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. We hired other people another time and they were better. Good. Yeah. But one guy was just like, well, let's do this. And we were lifting a, an even bigger tank. Fuck. And, uh. At one point, the back wheels of the forklift just started coming up because it was just a little <laughs> too heavy. heavy yeah. And so we just had to get everybody to hang on the back of the forklift to try to get more weight That's on it. Hilarious. And it worked eventually. Just envision this. Yeah. Like it's eight, nine, ten grown adults just like grabbing the back. <laughs> just of calling the people from the tasting room to come help. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, I really like this beer. Mm. Thank you. Do you remember? Did you grow up in Greater Vancouver? Yeah, in Richmond. Do you remember when Bud Light Lime came out? I do. I wasn't living in Vancouver, but I do. It was my first year of bartending, I think. And apparently the industry was that lame that they had never thought to put a fruit in a beer. (laughs) (laughs) So someone put a fruit in a beer and it was Bud Light Lime. And this shit was nuts. Mm-hmm. We ordered into I it. Remember we it. couldn't keep it in the bar. Like everyone wanted to try it. BLLs, baby. They're still popular. It was insane. People but like this is them. a good version mm-hmm. of that. That was garbage. Right. <clears throat> this is such a good summer patio beer. Thanks. It's so good. One of my favorite beers from your guys was like uh was a grape saison. Do you remember what that was called? Great grape? Yeah. You guys had like wine skins. Oh, that was rose. Oh rose. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, blush. Blush. Yeah, that oh, was yeah, delicious. Yeah. So yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was good. We're, we'll make it again this year. Um, you can only make it once a year when there's a winery across the or the next unit over, basically. Mm. And uh, we take their spent wine grapes, Perfect. their skins, and 
throw it into the beer. But it's, yeah, once a year around October or so <clears> when they get their grapes. Do you guys do that a lot? Just like contact like random manufacturers and stuff looking for like extra or whatever, well, whatever's left over? Eric's a specialist on the spice shop. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, not like that. Yeah, using somebody's waste is, that's basically the only only time I can think of. Yeah, because gotcha. that they, I mean, they pay to get them composted. Right. Um, and so. We're that was like, a great well, beer. And yeah, and they, they did us a favor to make sure that they were sanitary and they've, so it's a bit of extra work <clears> on their end. Um, and so they're great. And so, yeah, we're going to do that again this year. Could you use other wineries and do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's you, just nice that they're literally like, we just went over there. Is that a, is, is that one of the factors is like, you want to keep it local? You want to keep it new West? Um, I'm not against using other wineries. Like I'd use local BC wineries in sure. general, but they're, they're great. They're right there. Hmm. Um, it makes it easy because the day that they're done with it, I went over with the forklift, grabbed a tote that's full of so wine skins good, and yeah. that's, that's it. So instead of trying to organize the back shipping, wheels were on the ground at this point. Oh yeah. <laughs> this was nothing. This was only <laughs> like the ground. <laughs> 200 kilos or something like that. Uh, and so, yeah, it's nice to to have that local if you can, if you have good quality stuff. Because wouldn't that beer just be an absolute gong show in the summer? Like it would. If would, we could make people it. People would love it. Yeah. There's also just like, it's one of the shittiest beers to make because the getting the wine skins into the beer means you have to put it in a different tank, transfer the beer onto the, mm-hmm. the wine skins that are in this different tank. Then once it's ready take it off, put it back in it. So you basically need two tanks to make one tank's worth right. of beer, mm-hmm. um, which come October, we're slowing down a little bit and that's doable. Right. I have to make sure logistically it works, but it's doable. In the middle of summer, we couldn't do it because then we'd be making half as much beer right. as we could. Have you ever brewed with wineskins before? Like, how do you know the process with stuff like that? Grapes, grape skins. Yeah. Grapes. Wine is the byproduct. Sorry, right, right, right. I don't know why I'm saying. What <laughs> yeah. the hell is a wineskin? <laughs> I mean, I call them wineskins. So yeah, I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> um, I did a little, we have like these little hundred liter fermenters. Um, so pretty small batch. And uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, for a homebrewer, it's a big size. And back, bathtub. Yeah, yeah homebrewers <laughs> generally make 20 to 40 liters at a time. Um, so it's a decent size, but it, for our size, it's, you pull off a bit of beer from an already made batch and, uh, we did it. And, uh, Kevin, uh, our brand boss, his, uh, father-in-law makes wine and mm-hmm. he had these grape skins available and he just, he gave us like a Home Depot bucket full <laughs> of them. And, uh, and so I tried this hundred liter with it and it turned out great. But it wasn't very much beer. So, <laughs> right. and then we're like, okay, well, let's work it up. What else can we do? Can we do this in a bigger scale? But well, you have that formula, right? Like you have it written down somewhere. I mean, the amount, well, yeah. So, like, if what we did. Su- if something's successful, you make sure you know. Oh, yeah. What so, exactly we record everything you do. That's definitely so. If you want to be able to repeat things, yeah. You no record, problem. Record everything, good or bad. You just write it down, whatever is happening. And, uh, and so, yeah, so then we tried it out. I basically, I put the beer that we made onto the skins and, uh, and then kind of tasted it every day. I'm like, is it ready yet? I don't know. I don't know how long it takes. So I just kind of <laughs> waited and be like, okay, it's tasting all right. And then I was like, okay, it's good. I guess 
what if it gets worse if I leave it longer? <laughs> and so I had to come in on a Saturday to take it off the skins because I didn't want it to get worse. And maybe it wouldn't have, maybe. But once it's tasting good, I don't want to risk it because wine, like I know skin contact with wine can, if too long you get the tannins and it gets bitter and whatever. So as soon as it was where I wanted it, it's time to take it off. Favorite beers that you've produced in the last 12, 14, uh, let's say 24 months. Cause there's been some phenomenal NIST beers, <laughs> like super good beers. I'm going to assume that you're going to steer towards the Pilsners. Simple things. That's it. Let, so let's go outside of simple things. Yeah. Favorite beers that you've produced in the last two years. Um, Ooh, I think the Rauk beer, that smoked beer that I was talking about earlier. Okay. That's up there for sure. Uh, I'll lean probably towards lagers cause I, I love a good lager. Um, that's a really good question. What's your favorite IPA that you've done? Because there's been some really good ones, man. I think back like 18, 24 months ago when Towers and Trains came out, and that was like such a good beer that I haven't had before. And then even more recently, what was that one that you had at the five-year party? Uh, Oof. No. Oof was good. I really good, that. but that's a, that's dangerous. You, yeah. It was only like, like seven drinking. and a half or 8%? Probably 8%. 8%, 8% yeah. yeah. No, the other one. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't was vibrant there? things. It was the other one at that tent over uh, there. Meantime. Yes. It was. Yeah. 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 Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. 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 That, that beer is phenomenal. Yeah. For and me. So, so that I chef those making that beer. Yeah. Um, he came out with a one called win, win. I've loved, um, I love win, win. Yeah. That's a that good one beer. was phenomenal. I think that's his best. I'll say. Um, that's his best. I, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, he might agree too. He really liked that too. And, so I need to, I don't know if I know chef. I'm sure I've like walked by him and said, hello. Kind yeah, of like, you probably have, but yeah, you should, you should introduce yourself next yeah. time you're in or I'll introduce you, I guess. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. IPAs. I would say that if there's a favorite Eric IPA, would it be win-win? Yeah, I think so. I mean, wow. what about towers and trains has was a, pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like they're all, they're di- so different, yeah. right? Yeah. Towers and Trains has a special place in my like I like to say that's what got me my job. Um, because that was I brewed a little homebrew batch at Steel and Oak right <laughs> when I started. And uh and that was I mean, it was the original iteration of that. We've tweaked it since then. Mm-hmm. And we brewed twenty liters or I brewed twenty liters. I stayed after work one day, brewed it, and uh, and then we were serving it on the secret tap, um, just giving it to regulars and can that come back towers and trains yeah yeah oh it's coming back it is yeah yeah we do that every once that was a a really good beer we'll do it like a couple times a year basically Mm. um that's kind of one of those has it been back this year i don't think it's been back in 2019 i haven't seen it maybe not either late last year early this year i don't remember the schedule exactly but yeah or it's coming back in the fall sometime what was the name of the earl gray ipa that's the one that's Towers and trains yeah wasn't that a black label was black? Black label. Earl Grey IPA. Huh. All right. Well, that's the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was super good. That was when, to me, Steel and Oak took a turn. Yeah. And Ooh. again, for my personal palate, in the right direction. Like, man, I'm so pumped with what Steel and Oak is doing right now. What was the Japanese uh, 
Daisy that you guys did. Oh, with the Japanese name. Are you thinking Kotuku? Yeah, Kotuku. Okay. That's what got yeah, me on that's, that's the green That that's was Maori, delicious. Yeah. That one, uh, yeah. Right? Had a gray. Yeah, gray label. Label, yeah. Um, I just remember the colors. <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying colors. Yeah, that one, that was a good, yeah, pale ale. Like, I mean, the line between a pale ale and IPA is hard to, hard to really define, but Can yeah. you define that? No. No, not <laughs> at all. Good talk. No. Uh, well, we, so we'll be on. We found that there's been some beers. Now we just call everything an IPA because it sells better. And that's, that's where I get annoyed crazy. at the market mm. because it's just like, if it's five point, let's call it five and a half percent. Yeah. You could call it either an IPA or a pale ale. I assumed and it was an, the hop level. No, but you can get a really hoppy pale ale. Yeah. Or, and yeah, you're right. now we've just found that an IPA sells better and it's, and that's where I get annoyed because it's not that people like the beer better. It's just, they're buying it because they're, it says IPA. They're mm. going to buy it. Um, whether you, if you like it better, that's, that's great. Like that, I have no issue with. But if you're buying it just because it's an IPA, I mean, we didn't have an IPA for years at Steel and Oak. Mm-hmm. Now we basically always have one, or at least one. But people would come in, not look at the menu, and just say, I'll get your IPA. And I'd be just like, well, we don't have an IPA. <laughs> like, did you not look at the menu? You just, you just assume that you want the IPA when you've never tried anything else. Yeah. And so... I, what is the education process like in those situations? I don't work the tasting room because I get, <laughs> I get mad at people. I, I, I don't have patience for people. Um, you're like, here's the Pilsner. You're going to yeah, drink I mean, that. We used you're to, enjoy like, it. We had our ESB and it was hoppy enough for a lot of people. You know, like, we'll try this. And, and there's definitely people willing to change, but there's some people like, no, I'm, I'm an IPA drinker. They're not a craft beer drinker. They're an IPA drinker. Just for the and name. that's, yeah, and there's a difference there for sure. The people that will just drink that. Um, what is it in their head that they're so attached to IPA? Like just the wording IPA. I don't know. Uh, it's they think it's bitter. I, yeah, because I think traditionally it's, it's a bitter beer. Right? Yeah, and it's full of flavor, so right. they know it's just full of flavor. Whereas, and so you get into craft beer, and you're like, oh yeah, I want flavor. Well, what's the most flavor? basically an IPA mm. or a stout or like an Imperial stout or something. Mm. Like that. And so those are the two beers that people will drink at first. And I'm guilty of it to an extent. When I first got into home brewing, I was making beers that were full of flavor and, uh, and that's it. And so people just assume that that's what they want. They're getting away from the, the macro lagers that have no flavor and going to, the most flavor you can get. And then you kind of slowly, hopefully work your way back and actually appreciate. Someone that, let's say someone comes in the tasting room, you're there. Just say you're out there. Everyone knows your face because you're the head brewer of Steel and Oak. (laughs) And they say, I don't like lagers because they have no flavor. What's your response? I mean, you give them a And let's say you're not talking to a customer. Yeah. Because I want to hear your actual response. <laughs> I know if you're talking to a customer, it's a bit filtered. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah. It's educational, but you're also like trying to please them. I mean, part of it is like, I mean, a Baltic Porter is a lager and it's 
just as full flavored as whatever porter you're thinking of. Um, mm. But it's a lager. If you don't want a Hell's lager that is kind of just a light lager, sure, that's, that's up to you if that's not what you want. But to say I don't like lagers means you're just don't, you don't know what you're talking about. That's, I, I see that right away. It's like, if you say blanket statement, I don't like lagers, yeah. you don't know what, you're, if you like beer in general, but you don't like lagers, you don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. When all the IPAs were doing that big, hoppy, double, triple, whatever IPAs, had so many IBUs that just burn your tongue as they go down. That was my response was like, I'm not a big IPA fan, but when you step back and look at the broad spectrum of IPAs, it's just one little category, right? Yeah. At the end. It just is overhopped, hiding yeah. all the flavor. It's just bitter. And I've learned that now through educating myself and trying a bunch of beers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's totally as people like I don't blame people for not knowing. Like hmm. I don't expect people to know as much about beer as I do. And that's because that's not realistic. I don't know anything about any other random topic. And so I'm hoping people can kind of guide me in something that I kind of like, but know nothing about totally. whiskey, for example. Like, I don't know. I know I like whiskey, but that's it. Kind of. And Ooh, so that is another podcast. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you could talk all day about that. Yeah. But like, I, I can't tell you the differences mm. between you know, different places of Scotland and I don't know. So I'm hoping somebody educates me, but I also don't want to be ignorant and just say like, oh, well, no, scotch is the way to go. And mm. Irish whiskey is terrible because I'm sure there's some delicious Irish whiskey out there. I'm not going to call out our uh -oh. parents' generation, but I'm slightly going to. <laughs> I feel like whatever we're called, millennials, whatever the fuck the term is, I feel like we're pretty open-minded. I hope so. I feel like we are, though. Nah, and I there's feel enough like, assholes out there that aren't. Yeah, there are, of course. Any generation's going to have that. <laughs> Any population. But I feel like the older people, and this is more specifically directed at my dad, <laughs> they're just so close-minded. They, they, they work on this little fucking time scale, and it's so crazy. Like, even in general with beer, like, I'll bring a six-pack of, and I try to tone it down for him. I'll bring like a red truck lager. Like I'm toning it down. This is kind of like a relaxed, easy drinking beer. Be like, no. Is there Molson Canadian in the fridge? Yeah, I'm going to have that. Always, eh? Oh my God. It's it's so painful for me. Because he's not I, a beer drinker. He's a Molson Canadian No, drinker. this is a guy that... Oh. That's it? Like, that's... Uh, or, I just think he... And I'm talking about him and relating it to this whole generation. So maybe that's slightly unfair, but it's just like the, the mindset of being so close minded. But like my girlfriend's dad will only touch Budweiser. Eh? It's nothing else ever, but he's in his mid fifties. Yeah. 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 Uh, there it is. Right there. Yeah. It, and it's marketing. They've done an amazing job marketing. And that's, I think that's a big difference with craft beer. Once people are into craft beer, they're not a steel and Oak drinker. They're right. not a, right. Which is why the industry is what it is. And we can be friends with our competition mm -hmm. because we know our customers aren't going to be loyal to us the way customers were loyal to Molson or mm -hmm. Bud or Coors or whatever. I feel a bit like it goes across um, 
different industries though. Like for us, we don't really give a shit if our shoes or socks are like Nike or Adidas or whatever. It's like, I don't know, that looks pretty good. It feels the same as that one, but it's on sale. It's $20 cheaper. <laughs> Maybe we're just cheap. I don't know. <laughs> but whereas the old school people are just going there like, yeah, I'll take the new pair of Nikes. I feel like it goes across different industries. Yeah, probably. Maybe it's just, maybe it is marketing because we have access to so many different things now with social media and internet and all that stuff. Whereas back in the day, it was all TV ads that anyone ever saw. Yeah. And who can afford TV ads is Budweiser and Nike, right? Just big companies. Big guys. Anyway, maybe Steel and Oak should do some TV ads. No, (laughs) they should definitely not because no one watches TV ads. We don't pay for marketing. That's <laughs> it's basically a, a thing. I think the most we've ever paid is paying a little bit to be uh, at the curling club in New West. Oh. Get a little our logo on the ice there, and but that's like supporting the community. They, they support us, and that's that's about it. That's not big money or anything. You know, what the next sponsorship is going to be no <laughs> the podcast. Yeah, we'll bring you some beer every once in a while. That's all I'm asking for. Okay. <laughs> every podcast will talk about your beer. You give me a four pack of beer. There you go. Okay. The win win. All right. You already come by. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie can grab you some beer. Yeah, I'd pay for it though. <laughs> anyway, Eric, thanks a lot, man. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. Thanks. That was more educational than I anticipated, but I'm excited about it. I don't. I don't know what I was talking about half the time. <laughs> Carl, did you learn some something about beer today? Yes, quite a bit. Name your top best thing you learned. Oh, it's so much uh, trial and error. Like you got to taste every step, essentially. It's science, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Hashtag science. <laughs> we out. <laughs> <laughs>